Welcome to the third episode of Event of the Productized Podcast in this season. Uh, we are talking about the future of cities. What if cities cared more about their digital products and services and treated their citizens like customers that they really want to retain instead of people that just pay taxes or people that are paying fees for this and for that? What if the mayor would be the equivalent of the CEO? So who would take the role of an eventual chief product officer in the city? More importantly, what transformations and improvements could this bring about for lives as citizens as a whole? And in this podcast, this we're inviting innovators, geeks, creators, entrepreneurs to come to discuss impactful ideas around this concept of cities. Our mission is to inspire people to impactful action. My name is Andre Marquis and I'm, I'm your host today. So everyone, today I'm talking with Paulo Silva in front of me. Paulo is the co-founder and CEO of Miles in the Sky, an online education platform with exceptional experience in courses. Paulo has more than 20 years of C-level roles covering the full range of top management responsibilities from CIO to uh, CMO and, and many more. Uh, now Paulo is focusing on developing an online education platform and a coding school um, 42 Lisboa or 42 Lisboa uh, that you might have heard about. So welcome, Paulo. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for it, uh, having for, me here. Sure. How is the year going? Exciting year? <laughs> yeah, very hectic. So we're doing lots of things and having fun. It has been a very good year. It is being. Very well. So look, um, you have lots of experience and now you have this startup. Mm -hmm. It is a startup, right? Yes. At the end of the day. And it's a product startup because you're actually developing a digital product. So as a co-founder, um, your role is also the CEO of Miles in the Sky. Mm -hmm. um, but you care a lot about the products. And I, I've had like the few interactions that we had before. You are very much into what the product should do, what the product does. Um, in terms of the digital platform, but also the content. So what does a typical day actually look like to you? Okay. Uh, by the way, even this morning, we were discussing strategy and we're trying to define what is truly our mission. And our mission is to create a world-class product. Yeah. So it's normal so you that are not only the CEO, the, but the, everybody the is involved on that. Ongoing. Yeah. yeah. That's, that, those, those are the, sometimes the best days of a company, right? You are, yeah still discussing the mission? Well, the best days, I think almost in anything, is this creation uh, stage that normally happens at the beginning. But I think one of the challenges of keeping our days fun and happy is about keeping that creativity, that enthusiasm for doing, for doing great things. So a typical day for me is pretty much that interaction in the office. We have been able now to bring more people to recruit some how, new how many, people. How many people do you have in the team right now? Uh, six plus five, uh, 11. Mm -hmm. So we just got some interns for for the technology and uh, it's going very well. Are you so, funded VC backed or you're still bootstrapping? Along? Not yet. So essentially some of our founders uh, have uh, created, generated the funds for the company, we expect uh, in the summer to do our first rounds of, of capital. Very well. Um, so a typical day, well, actually, I also do other things. I, I, I make sure that uh, every week I have at least uh, two uh, classes of yoga and one of uh, pilots. So, because uh, I think it's important to keep that balance in life is crucial for uh, for uh, our performance and uh, for our happiness uh, as a whole. So, um, I would say today half of my days are about meetings with prospect customers because the enthusiasm is is huge. People that believe that our learning experience can be applied in their domain. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of different things, from medicine to digital to um, uh, non-profit organizations, uh, lots of different uh, spaces. That's one side. 
the other side is pretty much about the basics of a startup uh, at this stage. So product design, uh, user experience, uh, website, uh, discussing the financial model, how we engage program creators. So it, it's lo it's very variable in, mm. in a way. So the, the product that you're trying to build, uh, the actual platform, Miles in the Sky, it's like a, how would you describe it? What's like the, 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 the current pitch at this moment? We have a belief that the current education model is not good. Mm -hmm. uh, I would not use bad words uh, here. Uh, and we feel believe free, feel free. <laughs> otherwise I would use it myself. <laughs> we believe that it has a serious problem for what is required in a world that uh, people will have to continue learning through all their lives, uh, where people are unhappy with traditional experiences that are one-sided uh, communication. Mm -hmm. So what we believe is that we can build a learning experience that is more effective and more engaging and more fun for, for the learners. And the target audience is adults? Is adults, yes, because we have other projects that are for, for kids, but conceptually, you can do anything with uh, this model mm -hmm. because uh, there are some key elements, namely the fact that it's challenge-based and peer-to-peer -peer, that can be applied to any subject, any domain, any language, uh, right. any type of so people. you guys are different than, let's say, Udacity or other online yeah. platforms because what exactly? Because we believe that there are a few elements that make the learning experience more effective. So everything that we do is, we call it mission-based. Mm -hmm. Why? Because we believe that people learn better when they have an objective. So we don't teach stuff that people may eventually find how to use it. We give people a challenge. And in order to solve that challenge, they will have to learn whatever is required. That's one side. The other side is we believe that learning is a social experience. Mm -hmm. So people learn with others. Um, and we create every single opportunity for interaction between peers. So we want to make them part of a community because we believe the community will support their development uh, through time. That happens in, with peer evaluations, that happens with group work, that happens with learning circles where they meet to address and discuss, I'm facing this problem. Uh, so we have seen that at 42. We have the example, it's a source of inspiration. Yeah. We want to apply that in, in everything. And the third thing that we believe, uh, that is probably something for the future, is that learning should be personalized, material, relevant for each individual. So we don't learn all the same way. We are not engaged in stuff in the same way. So we build in the platform solutions that the learners can have choice. Mm -hmm. And that makes a difference to the traditional uh, programs where essentially you watch videos and then you do some exercises, some tests at the end, so on. So what we try to build is an experience that is more engaging that you at the end what we want to make people to be able to get is the, the what we call the meta competence of learning to learn because that's what's going to happen the rest of your life so you will have to learn new things all the time to remain competitive and productive and uh, and to have a role so it's not important that you're just learning today let's say python for for data the best that we can do is that you learn how you can learn any new things. How? Going to search for solutions, going to interact with people that know how to do it. And that's our main goal, mm -hmm. making people learn to learn. Right. It's a very, I would say, ambitious, bold um, goal. Is, is the platform agnostic? Can you either teach you know, computer science or you know, specific computer language and also use the same platform to teach, I don't know, marketing concepts, or is it going to be tailored to specific um, As areas? long as there are what we call program creators that are experts in the subject right. and are willing to use our methodology, challenge-based, peer-to-peer, data-driven to do it, 
you can teach anything. Mm -hmm. Actually, we don't. We say we don't teach anything. We create the conditions for people to learn, which is a different thing. Um, so just to give you an example. So the first program we did was about data, Python for non-programmers. Then uh, an external. So that, that program is already. Yes, it's uh, online. It's, yeah, it ha it was launched in October. We're going to have an, uh, another edition now. The and other it, nice it, thing. Sorry, it's, is it available for people that want to do it online? What or? will be available is what we call digital, digital experience. experience. That sorry. is going to be the first. And then uh, the, the data is already a specialization that will follow the, the right. digital okay. experience. Very well, very well. But uh, I was giving some examples. Um, partner that we have created a no code program that they're launching right now. We're discussing with an entity that is building uh, the a political academy, which is I know a school is, for yeah. politicians Ricard. Um, with Ricardo Marvão. Yeah. Uh, we're talking with the, a medical school to have a physiology and also a data program for doctors. We're talking with another entity that wants to create a program about how to identify fake news. We're talking with universities in the UK and uh, in the US. So in a way, it can be applied to a lot of different things, which is an issue sometimes for a startup because you have to focus. And uh... it is, it is definitely an issue. Um, well, let's go into that. But <laughs> let me just tell you an anecdote here. So yesterday, I was uh, I was having this conversation with this twenty-two-year-old girl uh, because her sister told me, hey, you know, Andrea, she should she should speak with you because. She needs some lights into what kind of masters she's going to take, and you might help her out. And she she's just finished the math uh, bachelor at at this egg, so mm -hmm. pretty smart girl, right? And she was telling me as as she went on the first year, she was having all this advanced mathematical concept, and she was nailing it like twenty. But then a second semester, she had the computer science class. Uh, in C++, she had to learn C++, and she totally failed it, totally. Like, she was a very smart student, she was doing all this differential partial equations, and that is, suddenly she's going to this C++ course, and she was totally failing it. And But she told me, you know, it's not just me, it's like most of my colleagues were failing at it, um, and we were really having a, a big struggle. So, I don't know, let me just... The way that I want to, to put the question to you is you have all the smart kids, obviously smart kids. They know, or at least they have the framework to learn very advanced concepts and so on, but still they are failing in specific subjects. What can we do about it? Can, can we use Mouse in the Sky to, to give that specific course in a better, more structured way that people are actually going to understand? because we still have that very very same problem inside universities and mm -hmm. and mostly it's because um it's not being properly taught in my mm -hmm. opinion yeah let me give you an example that yeah. is when uh, we have several sources of inspiration from things that all the team has done in the past and as i said one is 42 uh, i think you have been already I've there been to there, 42 yeah. And if you talk with the kids that are there, some of them were dropouts from school because they don't recognize themselves in the traditional model. As I said, the traditional model has serious issues. Uh, it's still the same from uh, 2000 years ago. So it's a teacher in uh, communicating, right. giving information, then some exercises, exams, and so on. So things change when you expose people to a challenge, so a goal, you have to do something at the end, something that you were not able to do. If you give something that is material, relevant, that they can recognize that can be applied, it changes the way you learn. And that's what they say. They always said, for example, there, there was an exercise that was creating a, um, a, ray, a ray tracer that is a reflection of image uh, in a solid and so An on. Exercise for the students at for the students at forty two, yeah. and it's the first time that they said, "Now I understand why mathematics can be applied to real yeah. things." Right, because they have uh, to yeah, have the it, orthogonals and so on. Nobody tells them that they have to learn mathematics. They have to learn some mathematics uh, because it will help them solving right. the challenge. And what the other interesting thing that they do 
is they go into the room to find the guys that are strong in mathematics mm -hmm. to, help them. to help them. And that, what I believe that it does, and what we truly want to create is you're not only developing technical skills, you're developing human skills, mm -hmm. the ability to interact with others, the ability to communicate, resilience, the ability to go, search, fail, try again. And those are the critical things for the future. So we have students there from 17 years old to 50. Half of them have never done anything in coding. So 42 is a coding school. Yeah. And that is, it is exactly that experience it's a, that it's a we three want to year, bring. It's a, it's a three-year uh, program. On average, on because average. they do it at their own speed. So there, there right. is nobody, it's absolutely freedom and responsibility. Uh, so at the end, some do it can faster. You do, can you do faster than that? You can, but it's hard because yeah. uh, in the in the program, there are also internships, an internship right. of four right. to six months. So that part is, uh, okay. you cannot uh, go faster. But... Uh, but yes, we truly believe that the, the it's possible to build an, uh, uh, an amazing learning experience. Uh, and you are doing it. You are doing it already. All right. Uh, from what I understand. So let's just backtrack a little bit and, and talk about your career, because I think you have very, very rich experience. 20 plus years in C roles is, is definitely a lot. And in the 90s, you started working as a consultant at McKinsey. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about that that experience. How did you how did you start your career in, in consulting at, at McKinsey back then? Yeah, um, as as we were chatting before, yeah, I've before. been very lucky for being in the right place at the right moment. All right. So I I did my MBA at INSEAD and I immediately joined McKinsey. It was mm -hmm. the beginning of G McKinsey in Portugal, and it was the beginning of a big economic transformation in Portugal, right? So Yeah, we were still growing back then. Yeah, Nobody we were, really remembers. We were growing a lot. I mean, Especially if you are younger than it, 20. I mean, it was the time where everything was happening. The mm -hmm. private banks were uh, coming for the first time. The telecom sector was being opened. Uh, supermarkets and hypermarkets the tv the private tvs everything so the the gulps and the, the electricities and everything was happening so it was a fantastic time and because there was a generation that had been burned during the 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 25th of april of the revolution there were the the teams that were in the management were not that strong uh, so there was a lot of need for consultants and we were doing like the the real strategy work at that. But I only stayed there for two years because mm -hmm. uh, I went to work for my my client. That was BPI. You know, actually and, to do the project. Start, and that started as a marketing director. There, yes. Uh, at Port so BPI is Portuguese private bank. It's mm -hmm. one of the historical ones. And, and inside the company, you became... Uh, a chief information officer. So you, you went from marketing to CIO. Yeah. How did it happen? I mean, B BPI, actually the name at the time was Fonseca Ziburnet, was right. a very traditional bank. And uh, we wanted to do new things. Actually, we did a lot. We changed the uh, mortgages. We, we launched a lot of products. But in all times, technology was the major roadblock. Right. So one day, the president, that was Dr. Sanchilva. He told me, Paulo, I'm tired of listening to you complaining about technology. Why don't you go there and do it yourself? And that was the time when I moved. Actually, I moved after an important project that was we launched the first co branded credit card in Portugal. The name mm -hmm. was Cartão Universo. Yeah. And uh, when we won, it was a joint venture with Sonai. And when we won the, the bid, to be the provider of that card, um, I picked my bags from marketing I, and I went to sit in the IT because I knew I was still marketing director, but I said, I, I'm going there because I knew that nothing would happen if we were not able to do it in the technology. So it was not customer service. It was not marketing. It was, it was not, it was IT. And that was the moment when I moved there. And I think it was the beginning of a big change in my life. So uh, my background is uh, economics, but since then, 
which was about uh, 1995, um, I've been working with technology. And afterwards, after BPI, I moved to be the, the CTO of Vodafone, mm -hmm. where I had to learn even a new layer that which was is the, the, tele telecom the telecom side. layer. Yeah. Wow. So you started. It was a fantastic time. This period. Yeah, I, I mean, in I... 2000s, we were just uh, launching the 3G auction here in yeah. Portugal, right? Yeah, but so... still at the bank. Uh, when I say I've been always very lucky, is because I've been at stages. Actually, the startup now reminds me some of the times that I was either in BPI and uh, in uh, Vodafone, actually, Telecel, that was what I joined. Why? Because it was a period of big growth and, and transformation, and we were doing technology things to support that. As an example, when I was at BPI, we built the first front end that was Windows based in Portugal. And I remember, I mean, nobody know, knew what was Microsoft yet at that stage. The best guys, the guys that were des designing communications and emails in Seattle were coming here to help us uh, doing that. Um, it was fantastic because the screens of all the banks were still DOSH, black with green letters, green font. And uh, we managed to put a Windows that was a lot better for the user experience. That was one of the reasons why when we did a merger with two other banks that we acquired, we were able to do a big bank transition that one day they were working on one system and the next day every employee at the bank that was acquired was working on the other. That was possible because of the front end. That was a lot better than what existed. It would never be feasible with the old solution. Right, where people have these learning curves to learn yeah. the, the text-based uh, graphical, well, user interface in that case. So you went to uh, Vodafone. Yeah. How did that happen? Was that Carapatoso uh, invited you? What happened? It was a headhunter. They were looking for a CTO. And um, I was selected. Actually, it was also a good time because one thing that I believe are quite effective is teams that are not very big and where the responsibilities were clear. Mm -hmm. And that happened very clear at Vodafone. So there was a chief commercial officer, there was a CTO, there was a CFO, and uh, there was the HR and uh, responsible. So um, yeah. it's clear, it, the, the team worked well, and again, Periods of growth are always better. It was the period of 3G. Right. It was the growing. period of mobile services. It was the launch of the mobile internet. Right. So it, even it, uh, not non-mobile mobile internet back in the day, right? We're yeah, still not mobile internet. Pretty much in. I remember the at Portugal, the time. Yeah. So we don't know today because this was before iOS. This was before Android. So I remember that we had to configure um, all the information, being it uh, text, videos, games, whatever, to a thousand, one thousand different combinations of screens and uh, operating systems, because each phone was and a different own, thing, exactly. and it was all configured in the flight by us. Um, so mobile service at the time was that. Yeah, <laughs> it was a nightmare. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've, I've been a telecom guy back in those days, so I still remember a little bit. Um, and you stayed there for nine years at Vodafone. And, um, yeah, but I stayed there for nine years. The first three or four was in Portugal. And then when I started, it was Telecel. Then Telecel was acquired by Vodafone. Yeah. And in 2004, Vodafone started the consolidation where there were essentially three big um technology areas and i just put myself forward to be the responsible the global responsible for one of them so the three the three areas were it network and uh, mobile services and, you and i joined mobile services later on i also got the it but uh, was not intentional <laughs> side effects um and you say there until 2009 and then you you kind of um, said, you know, this is enough. And from 2009 till 2011, what were you doing exactly? 
well, before that, uh, I I was in the Vodafone group. Then I was two years in Turkey until two years in Turkey. Yes, where I went back to be chief commercial officer. So I had sales and marketing again, and not technology. So mm -hmm. I I went back. It but was, you, were, you were telling me the, the story that after a while you you've kind of had it enough yeah, and you yeah. wanted to do then something in else 2000 at the end of 2009 i left vodafone mm -hmm. okay and um to be honest i didn't left very happy uh at the time i left because there was no role for me uh, anymore and i went into a period of a bit of soul searching uh, what i really wanted to do if i wanted to go back to the corporate world it's difficult when uh, you had a top responsibility job then to decide to go back to do something right. that may seem a bit not enough for uh, for you, you, you got were, used what, to the 40 you got used to the excitement and the responsibility and and all of that mm -hmm. and then okay so i decided just to change my life and uh, to pursue another passion that i always enjoyed architecture so, so I decided to start and learn architecture. I applied to Technical University. I was accepted. So I joined uh, a group of uh, young uh, boys and girls. So uh, and I started learning architecture. It feels a little bit like that movie, right? You have the, the intern <laughs> or the internship. That, or you have that like was me. That was 40, me. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, you were maybe a little bit over 40 back then yeah. with a bunch of 18, 17 year old kids. Um, that must have been, you know, a very humbling experience uh, at the same time because <laughs> you were <It's>... the CIO, <laughs> CTO of this one of some of the biggest companies in the world, and suddenly you are sitting side by side with a seventy-year-old kid that just wants to go party and and I don't know, actually, whatever kids not do when that. they're seventeen-year-olds. You know, so so. No, that was not <laughs> the problem. 18. The problem was, let's say, design class, and for me that was a sort of a struggle, and I was looking to the side. And there was a girl that was doing one scratch, one, one line, and the line was beautiful. And for me, uh, I mean, it was very different. So that part, that sort of more creative artistic parts, because my background, so if it was more the concept, the design, the structure and so on, that, that, that was more normal. But there was a part of the architecture that uh, was really fun to to see how other people address did, it and so on how did I, other people your age i guess i don't know, I don't know your wife your friends reacted when you told them i'm, I'm doing <laughs> a university degree because you know and that's it that's what i'm doing now <laughs> i'm not working hey, i'm doing i find this. it uh, weird, weird but uh, but they actually they were surprised but um, that's it yeah, i guess <laughs> lots of people cannot afford to do you know yeah. i'm not going to call it a sabbatical out of uh -huh. because out of respect that you were actually mm -hmm. studying it's not exactly a sabbatical but soul searching i guess that's the words um i mean you had enough money to do it you were at ease you could mm -hmm. have lived this life because mm -hmm. you had the chance to mm -hmm. do it not everyone has that opportunity right mm -hmm um i was actually speaking with someone yesterday also a 40 something year old guy that after many years of uh, corporate adventure he decided to stop for two years and the reason is that you know i'm not speaking giving this specific example or i don't even know if that was what happened with you but people burn out they are in a company they have lots of responsibility they're pushed just over their limit and then they they say you know this is too much or you know i i'm exhausted and i cannot fight this this fight anymore um does it make sense what to make sense to burn out to no, burn out people <laughs> to burn out people to take them to to such a you know you are a high-fledged professional you are a respected professional people take you into consideration but instead of having you know, in internet, we have this thing called throttling, right? When you don't want people to download as yeah. much as they can, what ISP does is throttle the, the velocity. So mm -hmm. 
the bandwidth is, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's kept. Mm -hmm. So shouldn't we also throttle people at their jobs and say, yeah. hey, man, I know you are a very high profiling guy, but you might burn out. We're not paying enough attention to that. You problem. should have that concern. But honestly, at the end of the day, all these things are a personal choice. And uh, if you should help people, you should question them, but it has to be each one of us that has to find the awareness of the situation because sometimes you don't have the awareness. You are so much into the excitement of doing things and the all that comes to your mind to, to you want to do it. Uh, and uh, so, Yes, it's important to have people that will call the attention to that. But at the end of the day, all these things are a personal choice. And yes, I did exactly that. I I even suffered uh, when when I stopped. I had some um, even medical issues on that. I mean, I was feeling my body was reacting to that burnout. Uh, so it, it's not only emotional, it was also physical yeah. for a while. But actually, it didn't last that much because after a few months being in the architecture, I had to suspend my course because a VC company how, that how, bought how, a mobile. How many, how many months? Is like six months. Six months. Yeah. All right. So I still like may have that. I still have semester. my inscription there. So one day. I and you were actually a, an applied student. Were you going to classes yeah, yeah. like every day, yeah, yeah. not just? All right. Yeah, geometry creative and uh, all drawings yeah. and uh, all, all of that. That's good fun. Right. But actually, what I felt is it was the basics. It was the fundamentals. And I wanted to go to the architecture part of designing things immediately and so on. And that was only in later years. So even if that opportunity to work with mm -hmm. a mobile operator that was acquired had not come, I'm not sure I would have continued because it was too long. It was like three or four years until getting to the interesting part of architecture. So you were actually seriously considering of doing architecture as a living or no. did you did you do any kind of uh, validation? So that's, that's a lean startup lingo uh, talking with architects and and, you know, no, I didn't I didn't want to do it, but I, I like to do. I like to do and to learn things for its own sake. Right. For example, I built a house and several uh, elements in my house, stairs, uh, windows, uh, were designed by me. Hmm. I like the details. I like to think how people live in a place and how can you prepare the experience in the, the design so that the living experience is better. So I, I was already doing some things without enough knowledge. So I was more looking at the learning for its own sake, not to practice. So how did this rich experience help you in developing and, and founding um, your current product project? Um, you know, and first we can go to the 42 Lisboa uh, School of Programming and now Miles in the Sky. Mm -hmm. Actually, it was a little bit later. So in a way, I didn't went into the corporate world, but I went into business working with a, a venture capital that was the owner of a mobile operator doing mm -hmm. transformation, so substantial revamping of uh, network and doing a, a, a joint venture with another operator. Anyway, after that, when I came back, I still had a stint at uh, banking. So for four months, I was board member of Caixa Geral Deposit mm -hmm. uh, because uh, the CEO with whom I worked in the past had created a great team. There were some issues, political issues and so on. We left and then for two years I was CEO of uh, Euronext, the stock exchange. Mm -hmm. Also a member of uh, Global Euronext. It's, it's kind of funny. It's because, you know, I was a CEO of the stock exchange for four months and then I was I mean, CEO yeah. of like, uh, this other company. <laughs> it happened. Um, but while on the other ones, I say I was lucky to be there at the golden age of banking and the golden age of telecom. Uh, actually, the stock exchange was not for me. It's mm -hmm. a very uh, controlled activity with lots of compliance and bureaucracy. 
and after a while i uh, i find out that it's it was not what i wanted to do and that was the moment when uh, i moved and uh, i joined pedro santa clara that i had known uh, back when he was uh, doing the new campus of nova and uh, he had set up uh, a new company with uh, a group of uh, young people that uh, were there we were the the adults in the, the, in room. the room um and after a, a bit of dating that he was trying to convince me i joined him as a partner and we have been doing all these projects from 42 to miles uh, and so on and it has been is being one of the most uh, rewarding times of my life i mm. i'm well, very happy why, about why, why is that why do you feel that this this feels to you like the golden age of uh education or tech education or edutechs? Because I, I believe education will change dramatically over the next few years. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the, we already knew what worked and what didn't work in education, but now, apart because of the pandemics, also because the technologies came together and allow that to be done, but when I say the pandemics, you have to remember that uh, thousands of entrepreneurs were at home during the pandemic, seeing their kids uh, having school uh, classes in Zoom that are terrible. They are just the replication of what was done in the physical rooms, worse on a, a now on vir a virtual environment. And all of them think I can do better than this. So things will change uh, a lot. Uh, today, there is a possibility that uh, any university in the world can create programs and even set up just a space here for people to interact without teachers being present here in the room. Um, people understand that uh, you need new formats. There, 50% of, uh, according to the numbers, 50% of the people in the company, will in each company in Europe, will have to get new skills. It's a huge transition uh, that will have to happen. So what I mean is there is growth, there is technology, there, is, there are ideas, uh, technology is ready to do a lot of new things. If you ask me, if, you, if I look in five, 10 years, um, I think education will have very different elements. Probably it's gonna be in the metaverse because you need to have an environment where people can apply their skills that they are trying in like in a parallel environment, not to damage the real one. Mm -hmm. I think there will be a lot more of immersive technologies because that's uh, that will be crucial to for the engagement and the experience. And I think we will have to fund all this transformation that is huge. And I'm not even talking about other countries where 50% of the population are gonna be below 20, like Africa. This is going to be, happen in, in five years. We will have to fund all of this. I think crypto will also have a role. And we are seeing already some things where people are paid to learn, which is the opposite of yeah. what we are used. So it's exciting in a way because lots of things are <laughs> That's happening. That's what, what I do with my kids, not successfully, <laughs> though. Um, yeah. Well, but it, it, incentives play a role, that's for sure. So. So you have now this this new course that you were speaking about just before, which is the digital experience course mm -hmm. on your platform. What is it about? Where you know what is the syllabus like? Yeah. So we have it in like two sides, B two C and B two B. Let me talk about B two B where we are working with right. a partner that is Purple. So essentially, we believe that um, this digital transformation that companies are looking for is technical, but it's also human skills and new ways of working so and the way we want we propose to start is by exposing your employees to a digital experience an experience where they can try different aspects of the digital world and oh, like, like designing a customer experience creating a website doing a digital marketing campaign uh, and producing analytics reports things right. that they have never done and like in four weeks, part-time, they will be able to do these things, understand, well, the digital is not that crazy, strange thing that is there. I'm able to do things. At the same time, this is 
sort of a trial to see the motivation and the intrinsic abilities of people to learn. After that, it's, a, it's like a, a setup to decide then, well, I love doing a website, why don't I go to web development? Or I love doing the analytics, I can do a specialization in data. Mm. Or I love the digital marketing, I can do a specialization in digital marketing. It's like for people to explore what they can do, understand what they like, and then move on to a specialization. So what is your thesis on reskilling adults? Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about like the 50% or so that you were telling me that need to reskill in the next years. And let's say someone in their late 40s, right? Um, what concepts you believe are key to educate that, that persona in the future? Well, I, I think the first uh, need is to be able to show them that there are learning experiences that can be engaging for them. Because most of the people at that age, if they think about traditional education, they will not want to go into that. Uh, so again, I, I, I go back to the experience of 42, where there are people learning code from 17 to 50. Some of them have never done anything. We have bartenders, we have uh, uh, air pilots, we have, uh, yeah. so yeah, it's possible. Yeah, but they're very but not all... smart bartenders, very smart. Exactly, right? so that's the point. Because the first you, thing, you do lots of screening at a very, yes. very steep selection. But we believe with more guidance, you don't need to exclude that many if you support them through the process. So it's not only to tell them, do a website, is why don't you start by doing this part and then this part and then this part. But okay, but what I mean is not everybody is reskillable for digital technologies or, or even to other things. So the first part is to understand for people to do a self-assessment, if that is really what they want to do, and if they have the motivation to do, it's a self-selection process in a way. Uh, and then we need to support them through experiences that are fun, engaging, cooperative, and so on. But some of them, I don't know how many, 20%, 30%, 50%, may not want to do that. And they may want to do something else, like open a shop, do an Airbnb, or uh, do sales, or uh, Remax. I, I don't know. Can there, there are opportunities to do different things. Mm -hmm. But some of them, I'm pretty sure we have seen that, are, can do different things. We have to find, we have to work. Essentially, we also want, we learn with every single course that we do. And with every single entity that we talk, we learn. We will understand what the companies want to reskill. Maybe, maybe it's not web development. Maybe they want to learn Azure or .NET or, or something else. What we believe is that we have a solution to create a fun, engaging, fantastic experience with our model mm -hmm. to teach any subject to learn any subject so, so what's you know what some people say is that nowadays we live in this age of abundance mm -hmm. where you have you have no lack of training programs you go mm -hmm. on youtube and you mm -hmm. have everything you, you might uh -huh. think about or uh -huh. any any given platform um the real currency is willingness to learn because you speak to the average person on the street and you ask, well, you know, what, what the last time you did a course on your own or what last thing you learned? People probably, it's like back when I was at school, right? It's not. Um, so the question you have is another thing, Andrea, which is even people that are do there are many people doing courses online, right? I mean, right? the pandemic but, also was a catalyst. Yes, uh, many people, and there are many options, and uh, there are cheap op options and all of that. 95% mm -hmm. of the online courses are not finished. So people abandon yeah. before they're finished. And why is that? Because they are lonely journeys on one side and they are self-paced in the sense that you can always procrastinate. You can always leave for tomorrow because uh, you, you can do it at your own speed. So 
we deeply believe that being part of a cohort, being part of a community, everybody knows that when you have, you are part yeah, of a social community, social responsibility, that helps. peer. So, so that's a pressure. key element. So, of doing it in a and different way. And when you work with companies, uh, companies are willing to give the time slot for people to learn on yeah. their their working hours. Or yeah, actually, we are we are testing to we are offering two options. Right. One option that is part time is like one day per week or 20% of your working time mm -hmm. in order to do that. It has to be, if, if it is not like that, it's not going to work. And we are offering another one that is full-time one week instead of uh, boot five camp, weeks. Bootcamp style. Bootcamp style. So um, we haven't tested it yet to see. We are offering the two. We, actually, tomorrow we have a meeting with uh, several companies. We're right. going to see. Not yet. So... Um, what about yourself as a technology, ex-technology director now, I guess, um, more a manager? If you had three months to learn a relatively new technology, and you, you spoke about metaverse and mm. you know, crypto it will come, and so on, which would you choose well, for yourself? For myself? Well, um, maybe, not, maybe not exactly for myself, but I think data is going to be like a basic skill. It's going to be like learning a language. I think everybody will have to, to know about data in any activity, in any profession, in all of that. So it's like a fundamental. It's like knowing English or, or knowing how Why? to write. Because data will be apl applicable on, on every single activity of, of the, the human. You, you are seeing that everywhere, fact-based decisions, you're seeing algorithms taking over, you see the improvement of quality of service, it's all based in data, not in opinions. So, and also storytelling that is uh, done with, with data. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. If I, for me, um, I think the next thing I would like to learn is not exactly a technology, but is everything that is related with hacking and cybersecurity, which I think it's a, will be a key issue uh, in the future. The privacy of your data, What's hacking. your ex attack. Vodafone speaking? Or? No, it's, uh, I, I think it will be part of our lives. Um, this issue, there will be impacts in society there will be attacks all the time in you, you you also have like a cyber track plan for miles in the sky am i confusing it's not uh, it's not designed it's but not we designed. think it's inevitable that we're going to do the same the same way that we believe blockchain is going to be inevitable mm -hmm. um so if i had to put two subjects cybersecurity and blockchain and you know what what aspects of your work are you most passionate about is it the sales side is it being this you know because in many ways when you become a founder again like you are right now um it's very much square zero you are doing everything right you are you know <laughs> i'm not saying you're cleaning the stairs but if you have to you do it and then you're speaking with the ceo of the company and then you're speaking with the you know, uh, planning with the cleaning lady, uh, the, the routines, and then you content management uh, and understanding and strategy and, and so on and so forth. But what gives you more drive? Um, well, talking with customers and learning from them is something that actually I never did that much. And it's a big part of my time. But if what I really love is co-creation of the product. Is just being there, sitting. I maybe even be doing something else. Because you, you do have a product manager, uh, manager of the product, team, right? We have a product manager, and we have the 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 CIO, the CTO, mm -hmm. which is the technology. So you, you spend a lot, lot of time with them. With both, with both, yes. They and like the, to work with you, or do you like to work with them? Do you have like? Do you feel you have a good chemistry? Is it uh, uh, productive? Well, they they are saying that they. Okay. Yesterday was my birthday, and oh, uh, they called me. They called me, and uh, actually, one of them um, said, uh, "Paulo, it's a pleasure working with you." Um, and I'm sure that it's true mm -hmm. because we feel that we have been in these months. We have been building a culture of co-creation, of interaction that is very fluid, and I think that's a lot 
better, a lot superior than having meetings and processes and so on to ensure that happens. It mm -hmm. happens naturally. How hard is it to recruit high quality talent to an edutech company like yours? Uh, it's not easy. I think we are. You also have a good pool. Let's, yeah, <laughs> let's yeah. put it this way, right? No, uh, we are struggling a bit uh, on the marketing B2C side. Mm. Uh, we are seeing some people, we have an open position there. Uh, on the technology, I think an amazing thing that, that happened is we brought five kids from uh, 42. Um, we give them an internship. Mm -hmm. They're doing it half time. So they're studying and working with us. Uh, and they are fantastic. Actually, Ricardo, that is our CTO, says um, they have learned C at 42, but they are able to translate what they have learned and apply it to totally different things. Now they're doing Python, they're doing Java, they, they're doing whatever. Right. Um, and they are, it's extremely, and that's interesting because on one side, one of the problems of the students at 42 is that they need money, which may pressure them to go and accept jobs earlier on than what they, they should. They need money, well, the training is for free, <laughs> but they need money because they, ha they have to sustain themselves, right? Yeah, they have to live, they have right. to, they have a house, they have, they, they have living needs. So, right. so that creates a lot of pressure for them because they learn very fast. Do, that do you have any idea on the demographics in terms of uh, class uh, attendance? Do you have like, um, is it classes? In terms of classes, do you have uh, an even size? We have, have like 50% are doing the course full time, 50% mm -hmm. are working part time. I, I was actually speaking about the social demographic, right? Uh, in terms of the 42, is it is it accessible for someone that is, you know, uh, low income family? We have many. You we have, have many. many. We mm. have many. I mean, it's definitely more accessible than something right. that, you have, that pay, you have to pay. But the rest still remains, like transportation, food. Because it's uh, a it's a purely meritocratic process of choice. Yes. yes. All right. It's totally inclusive, but at the same time, it's selective on the skills of and, and the motivation. So one one of one of the the aspects, uh, at least for forty two, that some people find interesting today, but maybe they were not find it so strange two or three years ago when the project started, is that you actually have a campus, you actually have on-premise computers, and, mm -hmm. and, and people are supposed to go there to do their training instead of mm -hmm. staying home and doing the program at, at home. Um, Miles in the Sky is a little bit different because people can use their own laptops, they can yeah. do it on... It may also terms. have physical activities and namely in the companies there will be physical activities and we plan to have like a one day hackathon can be in the middle of the program. But I would say to scale, which is part of the goal, it has to be mostly online. Mm -hmm. Why didn't you choose that track for 42 where people could just stay home and do it on their own terms? 42 has a model that has been tried, is proven mm -hmm. and is replicated in every single campus that, that is created. But the main reason is what I said, there is a huge benefit on the peer-to-peer -peer interaction. And that on the on the physical yes, in person on, on the peer to peer inter there is a huge benefit on the peer to peer interaction when you are on the same physical space that happens naturally mm -hmm. you just uh, walk the corridor and you talk with somebody there and you see that someone is doing it this way or that way when you are in the online we, we, sometimes we say that when you move from the physical to the virtual the space becomes time. It looks a bit philosophical, but what it means is if you want to create interaction in a virtual world, you have you to, have to, to set up it, a time right. and find ensure that it will happen because is, it will not happen naturally. Is that quote yours? The space becomes time? No, it's from uh, the, the director of 42 in Sao Paulo. But right. we like them a lot. I, lo they, I they love learn. it. I love it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It is so true, right? When you are in this uh, async mode or online pure mode, uh, space do, does become time, right? You have yeah. to slot it. You have to book it. So, Andre, if you ask me what is the biggest challenge for miles in the sky, it's not creating courses that are challenge-based. It's not creating content that is engaged. If we are able to crack a truly 
community-like peer-to-peer interaction in a virtual world on a continuous and productive and effective way, I think we have cracked the, the, the solution. We're doing what we can. I'm not saying we're there. We're not. But that's one of the critical things for us to... No, the vision, the vision is definitely there. Um, so let me tell... Well, we have been speaking about private initiatives. All these are private initiatives. Um, and what about the role of governments in the change of the educational system for adults? Uh, what can do governments do to encourage, you know, older people to keep on learning and developing the skills. Um, are you planning to have any government, um, you know, because I've been speaking with lots of, uh, lots of people from other uh, countries, especially in France and Germany, and they have so many, so many uh, government backed funds for adult education that anyone that wants to do anything can just apply to one of those grants. And, you know, money is really not an issue, right? There's lots of initiatives, government-backed or region-backed or city-backed. Mm -hmm. So what can cities or, you know, city governments or even governments do mm -hmm. to kind of uh, support activities like yours, mm -hmm. private entrepreneurs, really? Okay, so... And I know you have some very libertarian opinions, but uh, it's yeah. touching your own pocket this, yeah, yeah. this time. Uh, yeah, it's more than that. So... As you say, I'm a liberal. So my first reaction for government is get out of the way. And there are many things that governments could not be a roadblock. For example, when you have to certify a course, every rule that you apply are rules that are coming from traditional education. You measure how many classes you have uh, per week, uh, how many teachers you have uh, per class and so on. So if you want to build something that is innovative and different, you will never pass the filter. So and that's what I mean, being in the way of being a roadblock to do creative and innovation and so things. Okay. But I believe that uh, we, we have been quite incompetent until now to get any public funds. So we keep on trying in particular for another project that we have that is for kids 12 to 18 right. years old. Yeah. It's big. We want to open 10 T centers Tumo, in Porto. Tumo. Tumo. Right. Yes. Uh, Tumo um, will need public funding because you are not able to do 15,000 students as we want yeah, to do without some type of support. Families and, so on. and there is a reason for public support, mm -hmm. uh, which being a liberal, one of the reasons is externalities. There are benefits for society for the people having higher levels of education. It's not only an individual benefit, it's a, a joint benefit for society, and that justifies public support. So yes, If you talk to me about cities, I think the competition of cities is going to be about talent. Absolutely. It's about being able to create inno innovation and creativity. And we have seen that. That's where the, the, the growth, the economy, the value is created. So if we set up the conditions for talent to be built in the city is something very powerful and, and to, to attract to businesses. To stay in the city, right? Yeah, to stay. to Because... When you have talent, it also attracts business. When you right. attract business, you retain people, and it's it's a virtual, it's a virtual circle. circle. So, for example, Tumo, we fully we are working with municipalities so that municipalities will support part of Tumo. So, essentially, we want to be bring private money from private entities. Right. Lisbon, Lisbon as well. Lisbon as well. So, we were talking with or 12 cities at this moment. Probably the first one is going to be Coimbra. Mm -hmm. um, but, and, and they understand. They understand how to build something to teach kids, to where kids will learn creative technologies will be a base for a, a lot of growth, development, transformation in the city. So that's one aspect. That's the one where we are looking more for, for funding. In terms of reskilling, it's going to be a big social problem. So if we think that 50% of the people will have to change their activities, their jobs within the company or to do something else, there will be a social impact for that. So to support that transition with public funding is something that is beneficial for society. So we have not been able until now, but we'll see. Anyway, yeah, success. what we have to do is build a great product that Absolutely. will address that. That's, that's... that's our focus. So finally, what words of advice would you give your younger self? Let's say 
that younger Paulo just before your MBA at INSEAD back in the late 1980s? I'm not sure I would give, uh, as I said, I feel a very lucky person. Right. I feel that uh, I had the chance for opportunities to come in my life. So what I would give as an advice, well, maybe two advices is, first one is always be aware for opportunities because things will come in your way and uh, take profit of them and uh, go for them. Maybe the second thing that is something that I would feel I would do differently is don't stay too long in a place where you already understand deep inside you that is mm. not what you want to do. Right. The, the, there is always something. Uh, the famous Steve Jobs uh, recommendation. Yeah, don't right? stay. Follow your heart. Yeah. Don't stay too long. And sometimes I may have taken a little bit uh, too long trying to fix it. Um, go to where you find the passion, the belief that you are doing something useful for, for yourself, for society, for, for, for everyone. Paulo, well, thank you so much. You also have like a couple of recommendations to our listeners, including, of course, 42lisboa.com, tumo.org, which is what we have just been talking about, uh, a learning platform for, for kids to learn computer science and it's fantastic. Uh, a project that was born in so, Armenia. Go there, look. Check it I out. We'll be posting out. all these links. And you also talked about code.berlin and near.university. Any yeah. reasons for that? Code.berlin, because it's the first time that uh, a program was recognized by the German government mm -hmm. that is very much experiential in the sense that you do, you learn by doing challenges. Uh, it's cross-functional that includes uh, marketing, uh, coding and user experience. It's very impressive. Actually, the first six months you spend just understanding what you already know, which is quite a discovery phase. Wow. Near, it's a project from um, crypto uh, that actually pays people for learn. So it's related with, like I said, trying to find new ways of funding this transformation in, in education. It's, an in, it's more for curiosity, uh, that one. Very well. Paulo, thank you so much. It was really great having you with us. It was a pleasure. And thank you for joining the Productize podcast. So if you enjoyed your stay, give us your review on a Spotify podcast and share this episode with friends and colleagues. You also will have the show notes and more episodes at productize.media.com. Join our community. We'll be sharing the links in the chat and the description of the podcast. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you, Andrea.